Hi, I'm Chris McBrien, a Gen Xer, and the pop culture from my generation is awesome. And I'm Yance Eaton, a millennial, and the pop culture from my generation is dope. Chris McBride, and that is Yance Eaton, as always, and this is Pop Goes Your World, a pop culture podcast for the generations. Uh, as we mentioned at the top, uh, this week we're going to be taking a look at cult movies. This should be an interesting one. Yancey, are you excited to dive into this one? It's a little tough for you, I'm sure, as a millennial, because you haven't had a lot of time for these movies to develop really a cult following, but we'll uh, we'll still hit on them nonetheless. Right. It's a, it's a fine line between actual cult films and movies that I just like a lot. Uh, so I kind of had to be a little you know, liberal with my basically naming them a cult movie or not so for the most part i just look for kind of like under the radar movies that weren't necessarily huge box office hits that were you know put out in the last 15 or 16 years that are just phenomenal films that don't get much of the credit that they deserve but they they do have this small cult following that just loves them perfect well i mean the actual definition of a cult film um, which is also sometimes referred to as a cult classic uh, is a film that um is sort of known for its sort of dedicated and passionate fan base and also Mm -hmm. sort of a subculture that comes out like from repeat view Viewings and quoting dialogue and audience participation and all that stuff. But, you know, the other key component for me, like you mentioned, is when a movie first comes out that it's not successful. So if a movie comes out and it's just, it's not a big hit, it just doesn't connect with audiences, but over time, an audience develops for the film. To me, that's the real definition of, of a cult movie. And that being said, before we get started in, into our top ones, um, that's why I'm not going to mention a movie like The Goonies before I start to get emails and stuff. So like The Goonies um, has developed this unbelievable following over the years and, and is one of the most, you know, sort of, you know, most popular movies from the 80s for sure. And, you know, 80s kids just love it. But the thing is, like, I mean, it, it, it when it opened on its opening weekend back in, uh, in when it came out in like 87, uh, it was like number two at the box office. It made like nine million and it grossed 61 million million domestically in its mm. run so it was pretty popular so i don't know if that one's going to count but anyway are, are you ready to dive right in and, and get into some cult movies this week should be fun yeah man let's do it okay let's go we've got avatar titanic t2 terminator 2 judgment day but here's the spin on it so i've never actually seen true life the best scene in the movie isn't cg because it's with uh, jamie lee curtis toy story 3 made me cry that's the one with uh, with tom cruise right star wars the force awakens imagination is where the real power is when it comes to movie magic Okay, so we're going to go up our top five cult movies of all time. As always, I let Yancey go first. So, uh, Yancey, what's your number five cult movie? Okay, so this one should come out as no surprise to you because we did talk about this a little bit last week. Uh, so I'm not going to delve into it too much, but just simply bringing it up again. Uh, so number five is my 2004 film, Napoleon Dynamite. Ah, uh, <laughs> I like that one. That's good. Yeah. Napoleon Dynamite, of course, follows this high schooler who lives in Preston, Idaho. He is very, very weird. He's played by John Hedder, and he's just this weird, socially aloof just really really geeky kid and it basically chronicles his adventures in high school as he's trying to get his best friend pedro elected as high school president and it's it's a very weird uh just tons of of really like weird catchphrases and lines and and it's one of those movies like we talked about last week chris where either you really like it a lot or you absolutely hate it uh it did not have box office success i'm not even sure if it was available to be seen in movies i just remember hearing about it from word of mouth like one of my friends from high school had rented it or something or he had purchased it 
So I think this is kind of like the definition of a cult classic as much as it can be for a movie that came out and, you know, what was it by this point, 12 years ago. So it's still it has a lot of time to brew. But I think it's one of those films that's going to hold up a lot. And especially as as kids who are in middle and high school now start seeing it, you're going to see in 20, 25 years, it's going to start making those those lists that you see all the time of the, you know, the, the, the best cult films of the early 2000s. So Napoleon Dynamite is my number five. I think that's a good one. And I think you're totally right, because it when you first watch that movie, it's it, like I liked it the very first time I watched. I thought it was great. Mm-hmm. and But I can understand that is a movie when it comes out in the theaters that doesn't really connect with audiences because a lot of audiences, like I was mentioning last week, it's just so ambitious ambiguous the whole movie like you don't know what like even like you mentioned John Heater's character and his portrayal of Napoleon Dynamite like is he like you don't know if he's got like brain damage or what, why he mm-hmm. acts like yeah. what, what at the whole movie you just can't figure out is it, is it in the 70s is it like what's going on it's just so yep. weird the whole thing but uh, but it definitely can, did connect with audiences over time so definitely uh, a cult a millennial cult classic that's a good one I like that one okay my number five it's uh, from 1987 it's called Amazon Women on the Moon oh my Okay, so, Excuse me? Yeah, what? Amazon Women on the Moon. Okay, so it's not what you might think because it's, it's actually not about Amazon Women on the Moon. Well, not entirely anyway. There's a, there's a little clip uh, in there about it. But so what it is, it's a spoof of like late night, low budget TV programming. And so it's basically done in the form of like someone flipping through the channels late at night and some of the cheesy stuff that they might come across. And let me tell you, it's awesome. And there's a, like there's of course like I mentioned that the, the B movie that's playing called Amazon Women on the Moon, and in it there's like these cardboard planets and tinfoil rocket ships with a candle on the back, and and then there, you know the guy flips it around and there's like these late night infomercials for like hair replacement, and there's a silly pate, and there, there's an ad for a record that features Don No Soul Simmons, he's a black guy and he sings like a white guy, and mm-hmm. there's this spoof. Uh, of a funeral where they they roast the guy Harvey Pitnick is the guy's name <laughs> and it's so awesome there's like and the thing is like there's there was tons of well-known people in it like there's Arsenio Hall and Carrie Fisher and B.B. King and Ed Bagley Jr. is in this black and white movie called Son of the Invisible Man where he he, he thinks he's invisible but he really isn't <laughs> and then he goes around town he like takes his clothes off and runs around town thinking he's invisible <laughs> <laughs> and then there's this one show called Bullshit or not with Henry Silva and they do a reenactment of Jack the Ripper only it's like one of those like what if you know shows and it's like what if Jack the Ripper was actually the Loch Ness Monster <laughs> it's just crazy <laughs> but, but it's really amazing I, I, I loved um, the funeral roast Slappy White is, is this comedian and so the guy's body is laying there in the coffin and they're all there making fun of him, doing like a roast, like, you know, like one of those like the Shatner roast or something and like Slappy White he goes they wrote his will on his and they said it wouldn't stand up in court. And they say, well, I laugh every time I see the movie. Um, but the thing is, when it came out, nobody knew what the hell to make of it, right? But it's totally awesome. And the thing is, all the segments that are in it are all directed by, like, really, really well-established directors. Like, like there's, like, John Landis and Joe Dante, Peter Horton, even Carl Gottlieb from Jaws. And it is available on DVD. I don't know if you can actually stream it anywhere, though. But if you can find it, make sure you watch Amazon Women on the Moon. It's amazing. And it's my number five cult movie. On to your four. Do you think that that movie title had something to do with it not being as well received? I think it absolutely it, it probably did. You're right because even when I mentioned to you, you're like, "What? What's that?" And I, I think when people you know saw that title, they were like scared off, thinking, "What? It's it's a B movie." But and and the thing is, like I say, the Amazon Women on the Moon is a B movie within the movie. But yeah, it probably did scare people off, thinking it was just this terrible B movie and they didn't know what it was. Right. Right. Okay. Really, that's a very esoteric title. I'm actually really proud of you. Good. So good job. I've never heard of it. Good. 
All right. So uh, for number four, this film, we, we've talked about before about how 1999 was just a fantastic year for films. And it's unbelievable how many of these great films were right there at the turn of the century. Uh, this film first came out when I was 11 years old in 1999, and it had absolutely no emotional attachment to me or I had no emotional attachment to it at all did nothing for me whatsoever however as I got older and started to work in the corporate retail world this movie had I had a real affinity for it just because I could relate to basically everything that these characters are talking about of course that movie is Office Space which I'm ah, sure you've seen that's a cult classic for <laughs> sure that's a yep. good one. Oh, yeah. Office Space is fantastic and uh, obviously it's about three workers they work in an office I can't even remember what the business is at this point but um, they hate their they hate their boss they hate their job and uh, they decide that they are going to in, employ this computer glitch where I'm sure you've heard this before it's been in comic book movies and it, and it was in you know movies uh, you know from 10 and 15 years ago where anytime you would see um, anytime you would see sorry my wife's texting me and she's throwing me off <laughs> anytime you would have a, a, a dollar amount that had a fraction of a penny they would round up and that you know that fraction of a penny would go into a private account that they have set up. Well, of course it goes awry, and they wake up to find I think like two or three hundred thousand dollars overnight in their account. So they begin to freak out. There's just so much involved with it. Where basically like this guy becomes completely apathetic to his job. He decides that he's just not going to take the bullshit anymore, and has like this complete just awakening. And it's something that I fantasize about. You know, living in and working in a corporate world. It's so relatable. And like the older I get, and the more I, I <laughs> I, I realize the plight of, you know, like the working man, the more that this film becomes like one of my absolute favorites. If you would ask me five years ago, I would have been kind of into it. You know, three years from now, I even more so. The last year, man, I probably watched this film five or six times. I absolutely love it. Of course, Jennifer Aniston's in it. Uh, Ron Livingston is in it. It's probably his best role ever. He kind of like fell off after this, I think. Um, What's really interesting is actually written and directed by Mike Judge, of course, of, um, you know, King of the Hill and Beavis and Butthead Mm -hmm. and stuff. Really underrated guy as far as a writer goes. I know that he's not for everybody, but that by definition is why this is a cult film, because for a very specific subset of the population, this really strikes like it hits like this this insane emotional response. And uh, that's why it's my number four. So office space. Very, very cool. When you mentioned that sort of fraction of an inch thing and then they kind of round it up and then they, they steal all that money. They actually got that idea from Superman 3. That's what Richard Pryor's character did. That's that what it's from. Okay, yeah. yes, yes, yes. Anyway. Um, okay, so my number four. Big Trouble in Little China. And it's from 1986. It starred Kurt Russell and Kim Cattrall. And it's about this truck driver uh, named Jack Burton, played by Russell. Have you ever heard of this movie or have you ever seen it? I have heard it, and I think okay. I've actually seen it on Netflix, but I have not watched it. Okay, you got to gotta watch it. Like I say, Kurt Russell plays Jack Burton. He gets lost in Chinatown in San Francisco, and then he gets caught up in all this like supernatural stuff, and there's this ancient sorcerer named David Lopan, and David Lopan runs this underground group called the Wing Kong, and there's the Lords of Death, and they're trying to get um, – what they're trying to do is they're trying to get in, and Jack is trying to get his buddy's girlfriend back, girlfriend back because um, she got kidnapped by the group, and it is – awesome to watch the characters are really 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 good in it and it was funny because when it first came out like it, it just it totally bombed right and mm-hmm. there was a lot of controversy around the movie because there was a lot of some people felt that it didn't portray uh, the Chinese culture in a good light um, you know they thought it was just a bunch of stereotypes but it really wasn't and and then the thing is like, up until that point you know most oriental actors just had like, these little bit parts in movies and then here you've got a movie with an oriental hero played by Dennis Dunn and all the other actors, they had like really substantial roles and their characters actually had substance to them. 
And the funny thing was, is they flipped it on its head because if anything, I think Kurt Russell's character was more of a stereotype than any of the Asian roles because he plays this like this this likable kind of buffoon and mm-hmm. he basically kind of goes through the movie kind of blundering his way around. He's like a stereotypical American, right, who's oblivious to everything that's going on around him. And even <laughs> there's a great scene in it where he kisses Kim Cattrall and then he comes up and he's got like red lipstick smeared all over his face. He just doesn't even know it. Like it's just it, – the movie is a lot of fun to watch. Like I say, it bombed when it came out. But – like some of it was directed by John Carpenter, and like some of his other his other movies, it found a cult following on video and DVD, and so for that reason, it's number four for me. Okay, all right. Um, I need to watch it. I guess obviously, it's awesome. You'll love it. Um, all right. So for number three, we're on number three, right? Yes. No, you're number three. Uh, by the way, I was distracted from my wife texting me earlier because all of a sudden I got a text while I was talking about Office Space, and all it was in all caps locks was, "Have you guys seen my stapler?" <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say she's asking for the stapler. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. all right. So uh, my number three is uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Oh, it came out in two thousand four. Yeah. Uh, have you seen it? I have. It's very very good. Yep, it's very good. Of course, it stars Jim Carrey and Kate Winslet, uh, along with Tom Wilkinson. Uh, it is one of those films where any, anything that messes with. Um, memory and time and you know jumping back and forth those those are types of films that i really really love because they, they make you think um uh as a honorable mention memento would also be kind of like the same thing where it's 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 bouncing back and forth and it's distorting your memories and it's it's trying to make you think about that uh our friend uh, sammy reed actually recommended that movie to me a couple weeks ago just off the fly and you know i did watch it and it was it was absolutely fantastic but um with the with this film, it, it chronicles the lives of uh, Joel and Clementine, who are a couple. And long story short, it's she decides that she's going to go to this this uh, company where she can actually get her memories of him erased. You know, she has all kinds of problems emotionally, and she she fears commitment and stuff. And so she decides that the best alternative to protect herself and to protect Jim Car- uh, Jim Carrey's character is to actually have all recollection of the relationship completely stripped from her. So, of course, whenever Jim Carrey's character Joel finds out, he is absolutely just distraught about this. So he decides that he wants the same thing done. Almost like a, uh, you know, if you're going to if you're going to erase memories of me, I'm going to retaliate out of spite and I'm going to do it to you. Of course, as he's literally laying on this table and he's having this operation done uh, by Mark Ruffalo, who was uh, also great in this film, he basically just he starts seeing all these memories that he's had with her and realizes that he he wants to hold on to this forever. Even if it's a, a love that was you know, taken away from him, he still wants to have those memories. So the movie is literally him trying to escape. You know, he's basically put under, um, you know, an anesthesia. He's basically trying to escape these these tactics that these doctors are doing to to pull these memories from him. So it's it's a really wild movie. It's a totally original just concept and stuff like that. That was just, I mean, one of the better movies I've ever seen. It's a beautiful, beautiful love story, which I'm, you know, not my favorite thing, but just the way that it's it's presented is it's completely original. So, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind in two thousand four is uh, my number three. Well, that's a good one. I like that one. Oh, okay, my number three is Pee Wee's Big Adventure from nineteen eighty five. <laughs> and when when Paul <laughs> These are all weird movies. <laughs> oh yeah, they are. Well, that's the thing because I think if they're weird, they have trouble finding an audience when they first come out. And it isn't until people kind of figure out and warm up to their weirdness that they end up finding an audience. So I think there is a recurring theme for sure. Um, so with Pee Wee, uh, Paul Rubens is the actor, obviously, that played Pee Wee. And when he started doing his Pee Wee routine, it was like back in like the late 70s. Uh, people, they 
just didn't know how to take him. Like, I mean, think about it. He's like this man-child that wears a gray suit and a red tie, and it looks like he's wearing lipstick, and he talks with his weird voice. So now you take him, and you put him together with Tim Burton and, and his offbeat vision, you know, of the world, and the result of that was Pee-wee's Big Adventure. And so Pee-wee lives in, like, this really weird house with all these, like, weird gadgets and stuff, and he eats Mr. T cereal, and then he has, like, this big sort of tacky bike, and he rides it everywhere, and one day it gets stolen. So he goes on a search across the country to try and get his bike back. And like I say, it's weird, it's offbeat, it's totally bizarre at times. But the thing is, it's also like completely original. And it's really like a comedy and a drama and an adventure and this bizarre character study kind of all rolled into one. And one of the best things about it too, it has my favorite movie character of all time in the movie. And his name is Amazing Larry. So he's hardly he's hardly in the movie at all. He I don't he doesn't even have a line in the movie. And there's okay. this, there's this one scene right. Pee Wee is giving like a presentation about his bike. It's right after the bike gets stolen. So he gets all the people from the town and he gets them all down into his basement and they're all there and they're all in chairs. He's like okay and he's got like a like a like an overhead and he's like showing pictures of the bike. He's like, exhibit A and exhibit B. And all of a sudden this guy in the audience is like talking to the guy beside him. So Pee Wee just stops right in the middle of his presentation and he yells at the guy. He goes, "Amazing Larry, is there something you'd like to share with the rest of us?" And this guy turns around and looks at him and he's like shocked. And it's like an older guy. He's like in his 50s. Mm-hmm. And he's like bald. And he, but he has this mohawk and it's made out of like feathers on suction cups all down his head. <laughs> his, I, don't, I just love Amazing Larry, man. One of the greatest cult characters of all time in one of the greatest cult movies of all time. So it's Pee Wee's Big Adventure. I, I really have not seen a lot of movies, Chris. Oh man! But Every time we talk about movies, you just, you're just rattling them off. And I've, I've, I, I hear them like they're in like the public you know, sphere of like consciousness. People are constantly talking about them, but I have never seen any of these movies. But that's the beautiful thing about this podcast because we come from two different generations and this these movies are like right in my wheelhouse and a lot of them you haven't seen. So one of the things that I hope to do is to educate you somewhat and make you watch all these movies. And then one day you're going to go, oh my goodness, I'm so glad I watched these. This is so mm-hmm. good. Well, there you go. Okay, and I'll do, so- I'll do the same with yours. Any of your movies that I haven't seen of your generation, I'm going to watch them too. Fair enough. Okay. All right. So my number two film is a big fish from 2003. Have you seen it? I haven't seen it, but I'm familiar with it. You have not seen it. Nope. I have not seen it. Okay, good. All right, cool. So big fish. Once again, uh, one, one of my favorite themes is, is dealing with memories and people's recollections of things and jumping back and forth to where you're trying to follow what's going on. And it's, it, I like movies that you have to pay attention to. Uh, this film is one of only two or three Tim Burton films that I actually enjoy. The other being Mars Attacks, which don't judge me. I love that movie. It's it's so bad. It's good. No no Edward Scissorhands for you? Well, I, I he might be the other third. Okay. Yeah, Edward Scissorhands is good too. But um, after a while, the, like the last six or seven films, like Tim Burton became kind of like a one-trick pony. It's just like, hey, let me make everything look super morbid. Like I hate Beetlejuice. Like right. I, there's a lot of those movies I just don't like, but that's besides the point. But so Big Fish basically is – it's kind of like a um it's like an action adventure. It's like a fantasy film and it's basically about this old man who is essentially dying. He is on his deathbed and his son comes to see him, you know, to help get affairs in order and, and to see him, you know, before he passes away. And this is a guy who his whole life he has always told his son all of these crazy, crazy stories about how he was a basketball star and a football star in high school. And he had all of these crazy war stories and he was in a circus and he met a giant and he he, he he's seen monsters before and he's he's been in you know, he's been to towns in the middle of the forest that nobody's ever seen before. Just all these stories. And it it started out as something that the son his whole life 
resented it because he always felt like his father was never being honest with him. He was always lying to him. Um, but he's trying to basically determine what is fact or fiction as his father is dying. So it's basically like he, he's trying to find the truth out. Like, you know, I've, I've, I've heard all these stories from you as my father, but I don't know what is real. So it's basically like a modern take on Homer's The Odyssey. And it, it chronicles all these just elaborate, crazy, crazy stories. Like, um, it, I should say it, it's uh, the main actor in it. The lead actor is Ewan McGregor, who's probably never done anything else as good as this. Um, it has tons and tons of cameos in this. Danny DeVito is like the the circus leader. He's like he's fantastic in that. Even Miley Cyrus, it was her first film she's ever been in. Watching it again this past week, I, I didn't even realize that she was in the movie. I mean, this movie is almost two and a half hours long, but it is just it is in endlessly creative absolutely creative just beautiful special effects there's so much going on and like there's this beautiful piece of it basically finding out like you know obviously some of these stories aren't real that his father was telling him but in it he kind of finds peace that like his father's imagination was what made it real and it, there's like this beautiful you know I'm, I'm using a lot of really effeminate adjectives to describe this but there's this really powerful message at the end that connects the father with the son and so it, it combines all these elements of just like you know it's a family movie and it's you know it's kind of a scary movie and it's an action movie and there's fantasy and there's all these different elements in it and it's just it's a weird just hauntingly beautiful film so uh big fish is number two is almost number one but you you have to see big fish nice i will definitely put it on my must-do list for you my friend okay my number two this is Spinal Tap. I'm telling you, it's awesome. When it came out in 84, Rob Reiner at the time, he's the director of the movie, like he was known for his role as Meathead on All in the Family and he wasn't an established director at this point, right? And so he has this movie about a fictional heavy metal band that pretty much just confused people. Like, they didn't know, like, was it a documentary? Like, is it real? The movie bombed. But the people that got it, got it. And they started to convince other people about how great it was. And through the power of video in the 80s, it slowly but surely started to find a cult following. And I think once people realized it was all just kind of a hoax, you know, they started to warm up to the concept of it a bit more. And then it didn't take very long. And all of a sudden, some of the movie scenes started getting quoted and they started you know, entering the pop culture lexicon, stuff like these go to 11 and, you know, have a good time all the time. And, and always oh, they said, oh, you, you can't really dust for vomit. And then of course he was playing the song in the piano and he says, I call this song, lick my love. And like all that kind of stuff is like super well known now. But at the time, like I say, nobody knew what the hell to make of, you know, Rob Reiner and his little movie about this washed up metal band. And mm -hmm. even the actors that are in it, like it, it was before Harry Shearer was on The Simpsons. It was before Christopher Guest was the six fingered man, you know. And at the time, the best known actor in the cast was probably Michael McKeon. And only because he was Lenny on Laverne and Shirley. So basically, nobody knew who the actors were. Nobody knew what it was supposed to be about. Nobody got it. The movie bombed. But now... It's considered to be a classic, and it's number two on my list. The only the only um, piece of information I have about this is I remember when I first started working at my current employer, uh, I was talking with my boss who was probably 20 years older than I was, and he was asking me what kind of music I liked, and I'm like, you know, I, I like a lot of stuff. I play drums and everything. He's like, do you like, do you like, like older metal? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, it's, it's not my favorite, but yeah, I do like it a lot. And he basically told me, he's like, I have a movie I want you to see. <laughs> and I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. It's like, it's called This is Spinal Tap. And I'm like, like the band? He's like, yes. 
And I went home and I, I looked, I can't even remember, I looked up online or something like that and I looked up the cover and I was like, uh, I don't, I don't know. And this dude was so adamant about it. He would bring it up for yes. weeks and weeks and weeks. He's like, you have to see it. You have to see it. You have to see it. And he's like, you know, if you need me to, if you want to borrow it, I will bring you in the copy. He was just so adamant. I never went around, you know, got around to watching it, but you know, that this is two recommendations now, but he was just. He was just so transfixed on this film, so obviously something I, I do need to see. So now you got two guys that are 20 years older than you telling you, you got to see this movie, so you not yeah. going have to. So there you go. All right, on to your number one. What's your number one cult movie? Okay, my number one cult movie, and uh, kind of, it, it, I use the term cult loosely, obviously, because this did have some a, a lot of box office success, but it's held up more so than, than most movies in the last 15 or 20 years have. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, that's Fight Club. Of course, obviously, the first rule of Fight Club is that you do not talk about the Fight Club. But for the for the purposes of the show, we'll go ahead and talk about Fight Club. Uh, it's directed by David Fincher, and it was written by Chuck Palahniuk, who is a novelist. Uh, my wife actually got me onto his books. I was so naive to like tons of pop culture back whenever my wife and I first got married that I didn't know who wrote this movie. I'd, I'd only seen bits and pieces of it, but she basically sat me down and said like, you have to watch this movie, hear are all of his books, you know, read, read fight club, read invisible monsters. Like you're, you're going to love this. And, and she was right. I have, um, obviously you've seen fight club at least 10 times, right? Chris, not 10 times, but I have seen it. Are you passionate about it? How do you feel about it? I'm not passionate about it. No. What? No, oh my. I, I did see it, and you know what? I I did not like it. I'll be honest with you. I didn't like it. I I watched it, and I I wasn't. I couldn't get into it. Um, I had trouble following. I just it wasn't for me. I don't know. I did not like it. I and then after the fact, um, you know, because one of the reasons I wanted to see it when it first came out was because I there was a little bit of a buzz about it, like oh this weird movie, mm-hmm. you know. So oh I, I got to check it out, right? And then it really definitely grew on DVD. You're totally right. It totally grew into a cult film, but it just wasn't for me. Now, you know, every, you know, when I first watched it was with my mom and dad and they didn't even watch the, the entire movie. They, they like same thing that you were saying. They didn't feel any type of attachment to it. They had a hard time following along with it. And, uh, you know, that may have been the case for me, too. But I think it's one of those films where, like, if you watch it two or three times, you start to like it more and more because you start catching up on little, little things. And then you, you can actually go back and, you know, now because video is just everywhere and everybody can edit video, you can see all of these these compilations that people have made on YouTube and stuff where they piece together all these little Easter eggs and all these little subtleties that um, that the, the directors basically implemented in the film showing like, you know, you can literally see this dude's mind unraveling and, you know, they'll place little things here and there and reflections on this thing and, you know, this is showing up in, in a mirror even though if you look in the backdrop, it's something where like the the cinematography is, is filmed in such a way that it doesn't make it the focus. It's not the first thing that you see, but as you watch it more and more, the film just becomes deeper and deeper and deeper because of it. And of course, if you want to talk about a soundtrack, this is one of the best soundtracks ever released for a movie. Obviously, the Pixies' Where Is My Mind is is probably my favorite song of all time. Absolutely great song, great soundtrack. I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful movie. It's just... I'm, I'm actually kind of disappointed that you're not more passionate about it because if I had to think of like a film from nineteen ninety nine that you would have in your your canon of great films, I think it would be this. But you know, that's just a testament to you know how different you and I are. But this is literally one of my favorite films of all time. So Fight Club is number one. Yeah, I think if I was to dig it in ninety nine, my favorite movie would have been The Sixth Sense. But I mean, mm-hmm. that's just me. Um, okay, so I'm gonna have, before I get to my number one, I want to mention there's a bit of an honorable mention because there's one that just it just fell outside of my top five, and it's but it's going way back. It's from 71 it's called Harold and Maude because it's totally a cult movie because it totally bombed when it came out nobody got it and and it took a long time like probably it took 
20 years to really develop a cult following. But basically, it's about this this young guy. He's like, I don't even know if he's in his 20s at this point. And he's played by Bud Court. And this old woman, she's like 80, played by Ruth Gordon. Mm-hmm. And the kid is like obsessed with death. Like just, he's obsessed with it. Like she comes home and and he's like laying in the pool, like floating, like pretending that he's dead and pretending he's hanging himself. Like he's obsessed with it. But then they, they develop a friendship and it actually turns romantic and they end up having a romantic relationship. And then it's like, it sounds bizarre. I know you're like, what, what are you talking about? But honestly, it's actually quite a touching movie and it's, it's really, really good. And I think it's a real definition of a cult movie. But like I say, it just fell out of my my top five. But I did want to give it an honorable mention because I think when a lot of people talk cult movies, Harold and Maude tends to come into the conversation. So I did want to kind of give it a little bit of a shout out. But anyway, my number one um, movie of all time from a cult classic standpoint, I want to go back for a second to the definition that we gave because I was mentioning how, um, you know, it's they're known for a dedicated, passionate fan base, right? Mm-hmm. And repeat viewings, quoting dialogue, audience participation. Let me tell you, no movie matches that description better than the Rocky Horror Picture Show from 1975. Um, you talk about a dedicated fan base. People dress up as characters from the movie at, at late night showings. You know, you talk about repeat viewings. There's some fans that have seen hundreds and hundreds of times uh, quoting dialogue. People actually yell out the dialogue in the movie when they're watching it. Mm-hmm. And in terms of audience participation, they throw toast, they squirt water bottles when it rains in the movie. It's unbelievable. So if you go back in time to 1975 and, you know, a movie comes out that starts out with a set of floating singing lips and it's got these cheesy acting and cheesy dialogue and then you find out it's about a transvestite who creates a sex slave and then he kills this biker played by meatloaf and then he serves him like for dinner like to his guests and then it turns out that he's like an alien and there's ufos come down and like you know what i i don't even think it matters when it came out that 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 movie was not gonna be a mainstream hit like ever right Mm -hmm. but if you want to talk about a movie that gained steam and gained a rabid audience uh, when you think about it this is back before the internet like back before home video it was just word of mouth and just word of mouth about a movie that was no longer in theatrical release so you think about it, it's incredible that it became such a huge cult movie, but it did. And I actually went to a late night screening in my first year of university. It was crazy. Like people were dressed up, like I said, they threw toast, you got squirted with water. It was something else. And I think regardless of what you think about the movie or the subject matter that's in the movie, you can't deny the songs are like really, really good. I mean, who doesn't know the time warp, you know, and Susan Sarandon is in it and she went on to have a, a really big huge Hollywood career, but she's always going to be Janet Weiss, you know, to a legion of fans. Tim Curry was so good as Frankenfurter, it basically killed his career. Like, you talk about being typecast. Mm-hmm. It's it's impossible to watch him in anything, Home Alone 2 or Annie or Clue or anything else he did, and not think about him in his costume from the movie. Now, the, he did a TV movie of Stephen King's It, though, where he played the, the, the clown, Pennywise. That was pretty close, but he's still, he'll always be Frankenfurter. And the thing is, if you just sit at home by yourself and watch this movie alone, you're probably going to wonder what the hell all the fuss is about. But like, if you can actually make it out to a screening of the movie, mm-hmm. you will be blown away by what you experience. It's an all-time classic cult movie, and that's why it's my number one. Okay, well, that's all the time that we got for this week. we got to wrap things up. You know, we were going long talking about our cult movies. That's all good. Uh, Yancey, any parting things? I noticed you were on a podcast this week. You went out and we were talking about uh, fantasy baseball. You also mentioned this podcast, though. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was on the In This League fantasy uh, baseball podcast with our buddies Bogman Sports and and uh, the Welsh. Uh, they had me on. Obviously, I'm doing a couple different projects. I'm still doing the Jeremy Sir Fantasy Podcast where we're covering uh, fantasy baseball and football. So I've been pretty, you know, busy with that. I will say this. I have seen... Rocky Horror Picture Show. Actually, in high school, my little sister, she was in the color guard, you know, the the flags, you know, they twirl flags and rifles yeah. and stuff. They did that one year as, like, their show thing. And all of the kids who were in that became completely enamored with that film. And I remember watching it once and being so uncomfortable and so <laughs> weirded out by it. But, like, there were kids who were just, like, losing their freaking minds about it. So, like, I understand what you're saying. I even see around town every single year around Halloween, they will do a showing oh, yeah. they of do the showings. movie. At Halloween, absolutely they do all the time you're totally right and people just go crazy for it and and like I say if you just watched it alone you'd be like well why I don't mm-hmm. get it you know what I mean yeah. I think you have to be kind of part of the experience it's definitely the first um, sort of experiential movie going experience I think you know basic probably in history and you know the fact that it's based on a play by Richard O'Brien called The Rocky Horror Show and they just made it into a movie The Rocky Horror Picture Show and on low budget you know nothing about it and uh and it just be ended up growing into this this huge hit and mm-hmm. so yeah it's pretty cool so but anyway that's all like i say it's all the time we got for this week so uh time to wrap things up make sure you join us again next week for yance eaton this is chris mcbrien saying thanks for listening to pop goes your world a pop culture podcast for the generations thank you for listening to the pop goes your world podcast Continue the conversation on Twitter at C. McBrien or at Yancey Eaton. Please consider leaving a review for the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. Music.